0: Welcome to Digital Health Talks. Each week, we meet with the healthcare leaders making a measurable difference in equity, access, and quality. Hear about what tech is worth investing in and what isn't as we focus on the innovations that deliver. Join me, Megan Antonelli, and my friend, Shahid Shah, for our weekly No BS Deep Dives into what's really making an impact in healthcare.
1: Hello, I'm Matthew Holt. I'm the publisher, founder, author of the Healthcare Blog, and thrilled to be here on this Health Impact session. And we're going to talk a lot about the friction that lives in the world of onboarding and working in hospitals for nursing staff um, and have a great lineup to talk with you about that. So I have with me today Vicky Diassi, she is the strategic Director for Digital Health and a bunch of other stuff, and a Nurse Informaticist at the University of Utah. Scott Raymond, who is the Chief Information Innovation Officer at Nebraska Medicine and also a pediatric nurse. And Rob Sebar, who is the Healthcare Identity Strategist at SailPoint, a consulting company who previously was at Centene, the large government-based managed care company. So welcome to all of you. We're going to dive in eventually to looking at some technology solutions for onboarding, reducing friction, and sort of making the workplace and work life better for for nursing and other staff in the hospital. But I want to start off with, everyone has been through just a hell of a two to three years, especially those of you working in and working with people at at the leading edge of, you know, dealing with COVID. We're only now literally just coming out just three years of, of what's been an extraordinary time, especially inside the falls, walls the hospital with everybody in healthcare. So, uh, and uh, I've noticed that all of you recently, recently le- left your previous jobs and are doing something different. So I don't know, Vicky, I know you moved to Salt Lake City for the skiing, but you were in your president before, before. Why don't we start with you and just give, give me a quick flavor of what the last two to three years have been like for you and what the challenges you've seen have been.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And and yes, spending the last few years in New York City, you know, certainly was difficult on many levels, but certainly the most difficult part for me as a nurse was just seeing the impact on our frontline staff and our leadership as well. You know, I think one of the things that, you know, I thought a lot about reflecting back on the time is that, you know, flexibility is critical. And I think that, You know, moving forward, preparing for flexibility and ensuring we have that in our health system is going to be very important. And I think about that from travel nursing to virtual nursing, you name it. So excited to talk about some of the specifics here today and specifically that flexibility around our technology as well.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely get into the the nursing Crisis because it still is a crisis, and I, I saw it some data today that we're we're short 100,000 nurses under the age of 45, something like that. So you probably have better data than than me on that. Scott, talk about talk about nursing. You you said before we came on board that you're you you haven't touched a patient in the while, but you still keep your license up. So cool. talk a little about what, and you've also recently moved in the last few years. So tell me a little bit about what your experience has been the last two to three years.
2: Yeah, I think the pandemic changed a lot of things. uh both from a frontline clinician and provider perspective, but also from the support needed to support clinicians and patients. So when the pandemic started, I had to move rapidly 500 IT folks from on-prem to remote and what that looked like. Fortunately, we were kind of prepared because we had already had implemented flexible work, not only from a shift perspective, but also Two days from working from home so most of my 500 folks already had laptops already had things to support the organization during the pandemic so i i managed the first wave managed moving people off but i think it changed the way we do clinical care and even that some of that is held over today so i think vicky mentioned you know tele-nursing telehealth that changed not only from the pandemic perspective inside the four walls we were using telehealth to reduce PPE and reduce the number of staff having to be exposed to kind of reduce that that friction as well, and also to provide the ability to have family members reach out to their loved ones that were not going to be able to be visited or weren't going to come home, right? And I think it's carried over. So a lot of folks are transitioning back, but the impact on nursing remains. And I think you mentioned the nursing shortage. We're having a hard time staffing the hospital without travelers, and that's created an impact on the organization as a whole. And not only the nurses themselves, the staff nurses, but I think we're going to talk a little bit about nursing management and what it it did to that. But I think the pandemic has changed us forever, but we are kind of moving back uh, to some semblance of normal and moving some IT folks back in to support clinicians because Clinicians on the front line didn't get to see some of their partners in other parts of the organization for a long time. So reintroducing and starting to provide that support at kind of the elbow is a change for a lot of organizations, including ours. Yeah. Meeting your friends and colleagues
1: sometimes for the first time, you know, and before I, Rob, I want to get to you in a second, before I go there, Vicky and Scott, one of the things that's, that's happened a lot, obviously in the, in the, in the sort of the venture world that we see and in the. So digital health like companies, there's been a tremendous amount of capital thrown at essentially nurse new types of nurse staffing agencies. I can think of four or five, or i top of my head that have raised you know more than 200 million dollars each. Obviously, you mentioned travel nursing, remote nursing, and all the rest of it. How how much do you think that that aspect of sort of nurse management of staff management has changed, and how much are these new companies you know playing a role? And Scott, you mentioned travel nurses. We've had lots of uh, stories about travel nurses even in the same state or the same city, sort of you know, moving across town for a lot higher pay and jealousy and workplace issues because of that happening. So can you give me a flavor between the two of you and your organizations of how this new way of sort of nurse recruiting, nurse management, even before we talk about what happens when they get onto the floor, how that's playing out? You
2: want to start, Vicky, or you want me to go?
0: Sure, sure, I'll <laughs> start. I think there are a couple of things there. So I think, you know, one... Having these new staffing agencies and, you know, models, if you will, I think is important because we realize something has to change. I think that's one thing that has become apparent. And I would say, unfortunately, a lot of what we're seeing across nursing are organizations trying to revert back to old models of staffing. And so I don't think we fully made the transition yet. So I think this is an important time to pause and understand what we've learned over the past couple of years and how we need to pivot in order to move forward. I think having some sort of gig nursing economy is going to be important. And I don't think it's clear as to what that looks like yet. I briefly mentioned virtual nursing and there are quite a number of organizations moving in that direction. So I think understanding how we can use uh, or transition staff into that virtual nursing role is going to be important to understand as well. So uh, I don't know, from my perspective, I think the verdict is still out as to how we're going to move forward.
2: Yeah, I would agree with Vicki completely. I think there's some very fortunate things that happen with staffing agencies for the ability to staff and to augment staff, especially during the height of the pandemic. I think the end result though, is a difficult proposition for organizations to manage now because the cost of travel nurses is is tremendous. It's three to four X of a staff nurse. Um, And so that's putting economic pressure on a lot of organizations across the country. And it's kind of, I think, Vicky hit it right. it's It's a gig economy of nursing, and younger nurses. a lot of nurses out of school want the ability to travel, don't want to be stuck in one location. They don't They're usually healthier and younger, so they don't need access to some of the benefits of an organization. So I think a lot of organizations are struggling on how do we have that as a component, but also how do we recruit nurses back into staff positions, not only to reduce the cost, but to reduce continuity of care. So, you know, some organizations have floors that have 80% of their nursing is outsourced to travelers and only 20% are a staff nurses. So that's pretty difficult from a nurse manager perspective to manage, especially as those folks cycle in and out on 12 or 13 week contracts. And so, a lot of those staff nurses are seeing new faces a lot. And and a lot of the staffing or the, a lot of the travel nurses don't have an investment in the organization as a whole. So that creates a challenge. And then I agree with Vicki that it's like I'm old enough and been a nurse long enough where I trained in team nursing. I trained on a paper chart. And now, you know, the transition electronic chart, the transition to primary care nursing and BSN led primary care nursing. And now organizations looking at how do we reintroduce travel nurses. The only problem with that is, and Vicki, I'm sure you guys see this, there's not a whole lot of certified nursing assistants and there's not a whole lot of LVN or LPMs to create a team nurse. So that, that challenge or that nursing shortage goes across as well. So how we do care redesign is going to be really important. And I do think technology is going to play a role. I think tele-sitting, tele-nursing, how do we manage subacute care? How do we manage folks kind of more in a, a cohesive way and reducing the burden of having, you know, the staff ratios or patient-to-staff ratios consistent? So I think there's a huge challenge, and I think we're all looking at it in the same vein, but maybe a little bit different depending on your demographic. So the shortage is less on the East Coast and West Coast, and you can imagine in the in the flyover states or in the Midwest, it's... It's different, so. All right. What do you? I mean, real quick. What do you say the the, the new flavor of
1: so sort of nurse nurse hiring communities? Yeah, the ones who've been like shift and incredible health. have been raising all this money? Any you know? Is there a noticeable difference in the way you manage nursing using these organizations versus the old line staff agencies, or is it pretty much the same with the line problems?
0: Well, I think that's the that's the trick and and Scott alluded to this this the challenge with travel nursing. I would argue we have to you know look at it a little differently and that perhaps we need to rethink the way we staff nurses and manage nurses. I think we saw in New York City that we were, you know, where we easily adopted to bringing in staff nurses and you know, ensuring they had the technology that they needed, putting in processes to quickly onboard them. So I think it's really thinking differently about how we onboard staff and how we manage, you know, staff nurses, travel nurses, virtual nurses, all the above.
1: All right, Rob. Probably a good moment to bring you in here. You've been working for, you. you you're the you and me are the two token non-nurses on the panel. <laughs> <laughs> you you you're an expert. So you have to know something unlike me. So uh, you worked for many years at a, at a major health plan on the health web services side but the side. Now you're working in in, particularly in identity management and uh, multifactor authentication. Um, in a world like this, right, where things are changing so quickly for nursing organisations. How do you, you know, what kind of things are you seeing now that you didn't used to see that you know that are different before? Yeah. Organizations delivering
3: healthcare. Sure. So, look, all of the points are valid. One, one thing that Scott and Vicky and and every other candidly, every other health system globally has at this point is is we've we now have this kind of hybrid work model that is completely new to anything that existed before, right? So. Like Scott had said, I believe 500 people or so had to move over overnight. We we actually believe it or not, we moved about 40,000 people over to remote in the span of like three days. Right? I mean, it's a that it, the stress on technology is pretty crazy. But then you think about the hybrid roles that clinicians have been forced into. You think about all your security policies and things that you you know control your four walls and the things that you need to do to ensure you're safe to operate. And you've just blown those up, right? We've said well, we got to stretch this here and allow this access and we don't have enough people. So we got to you know, have multiple people do you know more than one thing. And so what's become very, very common across health systems is this concept of multiple roles per single identity. So you're one mortal user, but you're asked to be in this facility two days a week and another facility three days a week volunteering on weekends and a student by night and whatever it might be. All of this then compounds a job like Scott's, <laughs> because you've got to find a way to allow people to work. You don't want to frustrate people so that they leave. We've just talked about how difficult it is to, you know, to retain people and find people and and whatever. So you have to do all of this in a way that enables people to work, but doesn't make you vulnerable, right? So that this is this has just exploded over the last few years.
1: So before we, we, we will dive into, you know, some of the, the, the specifics and technology specifics around that a little bit to in the middle of the, the end of this segment. Before we get in there, there's a whole piece that we haven't really talked about, which is what does this mean for leadership? And, uh, you know, we could probably have an entire conference on <laughs> what what is the change in leadership and how, how are you managing these organizations now that it's no longer just inpatient versus outpatient or what have you. But, but Vicky, what are the kind of bigger problems and and theories of leadership that, you know, you've seen bubbling up both in New York and now in, in Utah. You know, how has this changed the way you think about, you know, what is the job of a senior nurse leader such as yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it certainly changed. So I think as as Rob alluded to, this idea of nurses with multiple roles, and I think we saw that, you know, throughout the past couple of years, nurse leaders being asked to step into new roles and responsibilities that they may have not had in the past or may have not done in a long time. And I would say, you know, the hard part for nursing leaders is that there has been, you know, a real difficulty in managing the polarity of protecting and preserving your staff and then also being able to respond to the demands of, you know, upper level management and I think, unfortunately, what we've seen is a real shortage in nurse managers. So we've seen a lot of nurse managers leave. And then we've also seen a lot of nurse managers uh, you know, step into that role without a ton of experience. So we have a lot of new nurse managers trying to navigate this environment, and that's everything from you know, the placement of staff. So I think anything that we can do on the technology front to support that piece, how can we, you know, leverage technology in a way that makes it easier for nurse managers to assign the appropriate staff to the appropriate roles, appropriate floors, et cetera. So again, helping out with that that flexibility and moving staff as needed. And And then also the provisioning of new staff members coming on board. So I think that has been challenging for nurse leaders, you know, so there are some units that, that I encountered where the most experienced nurse had been there for just two years because of the amount of staff turnover. So I think that's especially challenging on the education front, especially when we're looking at some of the EHR training concerns. So I think there's just a lot more on the plate of nurse managers who I said are you know, very new to their roles and you know are in need of as much support as possible.
1: Scott, you alluded to this a little bit. Obviously, there was the, the you know same question, but with a slightly different flavour. You've got the uh, you, you've got the issue of, of supporting with I, an IT organisation. It's got to support all these different changes in the nursing environment. There's issues there, with, and you've got to lead your own IT organisation. And of course, it hasn't been a stationary three years for the IT world. <laughs> Huge suck up from the tech world. at The start of the process is probably a. You' vomiting out of talent from the tech world now, so I don't know if that's impacting you know you all you, on up you're obviously probably negotiating a more distributed team than you were. how How do you think about you know leadership of an it part of a healthcare organization?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's similar challenges, a little bit different. There's you know you can use managed services to take over some of the functions, like you could use travel nurses to take over some functions. I think just like nursing, it's really recruitment, retention and engagement and how can you do that effectively to keep your staff engaged from my perspective most of my staff continue to be remote and so how do you engage not only your leadership team but how do how do you give them tools to engage folks when they're not in the office 9 to 5 and how do you create a culture and an environment where those folks that are now outside of the hospital or not in a building adjacent, how do you keep them tied to the the end of their keyboard all the way down to the patient care that's being given by clinicians? So how do you make that connection from a culture perspective? And I think that's been a challenge. And then just from our nursing leaders, the feedback or the comments that Vicki made are really true. So how do you manage a budget when you're using contract labor that's so expensive? How do you keep your nurses engaged? How do you keep them uh to stay so stay interviews recruitment enhancing nurses that left the organization to come back what incentives can you provide that other organizations aren't providing and what stability or what benefits can you provide that the that the staffing agencies aren't providing so i think a lot of parallels with you know how you manage folks both with nursing and i.t but more importantly for me how do i bring my folks that are outside of the organization now back in and and c- connect them to the the care that's being given on the floors and it's you know the burnout on both sides is real because covid made nurses work 24/7 and a lot of extra shifts and it folks including it managers have been working really 24/7 on zoom you know i remember when we first transitioned to zoom our first managers meeting I got on at seven in the morning I didn't get off till six thirty at night and you know i didn't i wasn't comparing us to nurses who were you know living the pandemic and and those pressures and but You just are never off, and so how do you manage that, both from a nursing perspective and a and an IT perspective? Yeah, Zoom and real fatigue is is real in most cases. Rob, so you know, we we, I I heard a lot of questions
1: from Scott there. Do you have what are the kind of the answers to some of those? How how is some of the work that you've been doing, you know, around identity management and general health, general tech services helping answer some of those questions?
3: Yeah, look, it's easy to fall to the conversation of. Oh, you have to be secure and you got to follow policy and you got to do X, Y, and Z. I'm a big believer that if you're managing identity right. And, and by identity, I mean the flow of a user accessing the things that they need at the right time to provide the right care, et cetera, right? If you're managing it properly, you're you're gonna be secure as a byproduct, right? Mm-hmm. This is really, it's it it's so much of an end user component than it is a security or as much as it is a a security component, right? You're really looking at how do I build roles, right? Collections of access that I can provide somebody on day one so that somebody who took a risk in leaving their organization and joining mine can start their training day one, can enroll in benefits day one, can start their career day one and not wait on the, you know, potentially manual efforts to provision access and provision services and equipment, it's, it's, it, it goes back to, you know, all these, all these pressures in IT certainly exist, all these pressures at the, at the patient bedside exist. We as IT professionals have to get better at finding ways to leverage technology to enable those efficiencies, right? And that will reduce the burden and friction on clinicians at the bedside. Right. I mean, it, it's it, end of day. I mean, in some cases we are talking life or death in this industry. Right.
1: So what what are the practical things around sort of you talk about easy onboarding, easy identity, identity managing management? We mentioned multiple roles with one identity. What are some of the practical tools that you're seeing being adopted? And then perhaps we can go to Vicki and Scott and figure out you know, how that's working, where they are. You're looking across the industry and they're obviously a deep, deep dive in, a, in in one place or a couple places. Yeah, absolutely.
3: So look, we you, you start with, you consider your populations, right? Whether you're talking employed physicians, contracted physicians, students, right? Know where they are and know how they're governed, right? How do you know what's the event that says, oh, we've got a new hire or, oh, somebody terminated out, like security professional, put your hat on. You don't want Terminated users to have active accounts, right? I mean, that's a, that's a security problem, right? So know your populations. And then in terms of making things easier, look at your roles, integrate your clinicals. Think about how you provision access into your clinical systems, your, your EHRs. Think about how that day one user experience should be holistic, should be, I've joined, I've got my equipment if I need it, and I've got my access if I need it, et cetera. And then the other kind of things that kind of play along with that are Think about, you know, things like single sign-on, you know, you want to be able to SSO into things. You want to, you know, to, to access things with uh, logging in one time, you know, it's asking users to manage, you know, multiple credentials and multiple things gets really challenging. The other thing that we're seeing a lot of, and I don't know if either of you are impacted by it, we see a ton more merger and acquisition in healthcare these days. And now you have these problems where user in, you know, system A needs access to application in system B how do you facilitate that if you haven't provided a trust between those networks, right? There's, there's technology and capability relative to identity that can support that workflow that helps enable business to accelerate. It helps enable those integrations to accelerate. But at the end of the day, it helps enable those clinicians to do their job.
1: Vicky, Scott, how, perhaps I'll pick on you first, Scott. Rob said a lot of great stuff, a lot of solutions there, which sound like they can work for all those problems. I guess two questions. First is how much do you think about that set of problems amongst all the other technology problems you have to think about for nursing? And then secondly, uh, how easily apparent, how, how easily available and apparent have those solutions been? Or are we kind of stuck, like we often are in healthcare way behind the eight ball?
2: yeah, I know Rob and I could geek out for hours on this subject, and I agree with a lot of things he said. so let's just let's just hit identity management and access management. So having a single system to onboard and offboard people easily and securely, and importantly, how do you give access to folks to the things they need immediately? So Rob alluded to that. so so role-based access is key, and I know. Vicky's probably gonna squint at me or wink at me, but with those nurses that are on, that do cross multiple departments and may have access, different access, having a access management system, you can manage that pretty easily. And then I look, we talked about a little bit, we've you know, in our pre-meetings together, this idea of, of dual authentication inside and outside. So Rob hit on it. So tap badging with single sign on, using virtualized desktops, using a virtualized environment to give a certain amount of access. So I can tap in in the morning, authenticate myself, and I can provision that access for the amount of time. So maybe give four hours before you have to re-authenticate or in some areas less or more, and having that management and being able to take that authenticated workspace, including Epic with you to the next workstation, super important, and that can take away that friction and if you just look at the ER, the amount of times a physician and nurse log into different workstations to take care of the, you know, revolving patients in that environment, having that ability to do that really increases the, the satisfaction with the tools, even though, you know, most clinicians are still burdened with documentation. So at least if I can take away the burden of access and take away Um, the burden of control from the IT folks and the security folks by having a management system for access and identity, I think is, is key. And again, Rob and I, we could, we could talk about this probably for three hours. So, so in that, in
1: that world, what, what would you give your I mean you've been to a number of organizations and, and Vicky, same for you. How how would you market? It? I mean, is this a, thing, a problem that we've lit now or is this a problem which the industry is just getting to grips with? And how are your organizations doing? Have you know have you, are you are you happy where you are in that situation or just, do you have more work to do? Vicky, you, first, you, you, go, to, you go first. <laughs> uh, Vicky, okay, he's dumped this on you, Vicky.
0: Yes, I I I am happy with with where it is, but I, I do want to make a few more comments, but I'll I'll, I'll let Scott respond unless he's gonna
2: Skirt the Go question. on forever? No, I won't. No, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think depending on what organization you're at and their IT maturity depends on whether they're behind the eight ball or on the, on the front. I think a lot of organizations from an access perspective and a tap badging perspective, I think, a lot of healthcare institutions have adopted that and are leveraging that to take away that access friction, at least.
0: And I also just wanted to circle back to to Rob's comment around access and patient safety and patient care, and also connect this to our travel nursing discussion. So this happened in a number of places. I think California is where we saw it in the press the most, but if travel nurses are not getting the access to the systems that they need, they will quit, Right. So they come on and they're not getting the access, not being provisioned appropriately, they're gone, right? And that is, that is something that I think will continue to happen in terms of travel nurses being onboarded to new organizations. I don't think we've seen the end of it. So making sure that access is available during that onboarding is key because then that only delays and causes more issues with getting the workforce that's needed. And I think in terms of what organizations can do, you know, I really see two paths that that took place over the last couple of years. You can either actually design your device programs for travel nurses, so when they come on board, that they have a device that they can use, you know, that is secure for that organization, you know, or you maintain the same security protocols that you have for your current staff, which is that you know two-factor faf- two two-factor authentication your you know password protections et cetera. so i think that's important for our organizations to think about and not cut corners in those areas make sure that you have a very clear strategy and then that onboarding is working properly so that you're not losing the new nurses that you are bringing
3: on board i would uh, i would layer that just one level deeper too and that look Getting into the workstation and getting into the applications, that that authentication piece is critical, right? Then there's that, what am I actually authorized to do now that I'm in there? And more of the nuance exists for clinicians in that authorization layer. Do I have the right entitlements to do what I need to do? And and oftentimes it means it's, it's no, I don't. So I have to open a service request and that request sits in a queue, waits for a human being to do something. And that cycle of time can be quite ridiculous in certain scenarios, right? So so Rob, I was going to ask we, you
1: about that so that that same scenario, but just for the onboarding part, right? are we wait are we waiting on some other department, some other human human resources system or something else to get that individual travel nurse or whatever that new person is onto the system? I mean you said if they don't get access they 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 quit. I mean, is that something that so like you can sit in a queue for days? and how do we automate that away so that that power gets given to whoever the hiring manager is or whoever's responsible.
3: Yeah, it, it's a super common problem, right? And and some organizations, look, if you're only hiring 20 people a week, probably do that manually, right? But if you're hiring 200 a week, that's a little harder, you know? And if you have multiple facilities and whatever it might be, it, healthcare has these, you know, nuances, right? But yes, exactly. You can have a manual queue for getting your AD account created, a manual queue for getting a laptop provisioned or, you know, a thin client or whatever it is you need manual Q for X, Y, and Z. And, and look, there's a lot of orchestration in place in that you can use IT service management platforms to orchestrate the routing of those tickets. So it's more efficient to deliver, but there's also capabilities that allow you to automatically provision and deprovision those types of access and automatically create AD accounts, automatically generate emails, automatically get people assigned to a role and working again day one, back to that user experience piece.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you, Rob. You I think the I think the role based. If you if you're sophisticated in your organization and you've really honed in on role based access, you can onboard people pretty rapidly. And if you have, like Vicky talked about, nurses that have multiple roles, you can layer on different roles in that access so that day one they have access to the the tools they need. And I can't agree with you more. Automating the onboarding from signing the application through your first day. Of orientation super important to especially to your point if you're hiring hundreds of people a week or thousands of people a year you can't afford to have manual processes anymore it just doesn't work
1: so one one quick question is we all we've all seen this you know the 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 password written on the sticky note and handed around all the the one identity handed out to multiple people or the the single, you know the the sign or this or device that gets that's supposed to be signed to one person that gets passed around. Where do you think we are in terms of you know the, the the cultural understanding of that level of security over over the last couple of years, especially with all these new people coming in?
0: I honestly have not seen an issue with that, at least right. amongst nurses. And I think that also comes down to the device strategy, right? So I think, for nurses that have their own devices, they they already have their method of of knowing how to log on and, you know, not sharing desktops. So I think, you know, fortunately being in an organization that has a mobile device strategy for nurses, I don't think it's as prevalent, but perhaps in organizations where they are still relying on desktops, that might be very different.
1: So the problem is been solved.
2: Yes and no. I think it depends on the sophistication. So, you know, if you have sophisticated passwords that expire every 90 days, if you don't have self-service deployed to reset your password without having to get a hold of the service desk, I think you're going to you're going to struggle, especially around the physicians. And I also think, you know, being able to tap badge in kind of smooths that out. But I think Vicky's point is well taken people understand security, they understand, you know, they their lives have been electronified. So they have, you know, sign-ons for banking, sign-on for almost everything that they manage. Uh, and phishing and stealing of credentials is is not something hidden in the background. Everybody kind of knows about it now. So I think as long as you're thoughtful about the access and you provide that self-service, it's not that big of an issue.
3: Well, I totally agree, actually, and I and I love the point because I think we are getting more security aware. Right? Even my kids, you know, amaze me sometimes. You know, that said, I think some of the challenges we see in health systems are, and I realize the numbers are changing, but there are some really long timers in the organizations. Right? People move around; they get they take new roles, they they move away from one thing to a different thing. But they retain that access along the way, and then inevitably somebody joins and says, "Well, I want new nurse Susie to look like nurse Sally," <laughs> and all of a sudden, Susie has this 12 years of access <laughs> that she shouldn't have. You know, it's really if you're if you're creating roles accordingly and you're assigning them accordingly, you know, via you know a, a department ID or a job code or whatever you're using, Susie looks like Sally in the right that she can do everything Sally needs to do relative to that job. You, you see what I mean?
2: Yeah, that role base is
1: super important. I agree with you. Is the eventual evolution of this that everybody sort of manages this themselves with their, own, with their own devices? And somehow this has there's a central outsource function for each organization that sort of gives people different roles as they go in and out. Given the given that Vicky, you were saying right at the start that we're not going to go back to the old world of, you know, the same nurse being there for 20 years, people are floating around, people are going to inpatient and outpatient much more. There's there's obviously Organizations emerging all the time. And yet we still hear about cyber attacks and ransomware attacks, you know, happening all the time in healthcare. How do you think this ends up? We'll start with you, Vicky.
0: Huh. Well, you know, yes, I do think there will be some sort of self-management. And I'll take that opportunity here to promote something which I think is very important, which is the unique nurse identifier. So I think there's an interesting, you know, piece to this this picture here in that, you know, for physicians there is a an NPI. So there is a way to identify a physician cross organizations. For nurses there isn't. And I think this is an opportunity to really think about and you know certainly nationally we are working to promote this from organization to organization, but really thinking about how we use The NCSBN, which is the national state board identifier that nurses get when they take their license, how can we use that so we know what a particular nurse is provisioned for from one organization to another organization? So I think there's more work we can do in this area. And I think that's one piece to this puzzle in thinking about how we can know what a nurse is, is trained and, you know, specialized in, you know, cross organizations and cross states.
1: Yeah. So. Nurses need to fires. Doctors already have them. Let's not introduce the concept of patient into because that will be another three-hour <laughs> session. I know, plus several acts of congress and revolution and god knows what else. Anyway, Scott, where do you think this is going to sort of come out? What is your role going to evolve to, and what is this particular aspect that we're going to evolve to? Is it going to be taken away to somebody to somebody else and be as a completely different managed service, or how do you think this ends up?
2: Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I think you're looking into the into the crystal ball of the future a little bit there. I think Vicki hit a, a really nice point. Having a national database of, you know, where there's some states that are, that if I have a nursing license in California, I can practice in Arizona and having a national number like a physician does or call it a credentialing, knowing what I have, what my specialty is and what I should be able to do. I think we would have been able to avoid kind of that scandalous thing that happened with People buying a nursing school and get and taking the NCLEX and getting a license. So, but it would be interesting. It's really thought provoking. I'd love to hear what Rob says about it. But from a from a identity management and at least access or zero trust perspective, it'd be really interesting if we can identify people across organizations. I think the tricky thing is we don't have a universal EHR. So, kind of access in Epic looks a little different than access and cerner or in or in meditech so i think that that might pose a unique challenge but i think from a credentialing perspective that would be a great challenge for nursing to the brns to get together and assign me a number uh, that tells me what i've what i've certified in what i can do and what i can't do from a nursing practice perspective yeah,
1: not to mention, I just saw The Good Nurse, which is the movie came out last year about the, the, the nurse transferred to hospital, hospital, hospital back in the late 90s, early 2000s who was killing all the patients because he was bored, <laughs> which probably not something not so you want to encourage, but yeah, no, hard hard to find, right? Way all to I'll end take... on a
2: positive note there, yeah, man. <laughs> it was a good movie, just,
1: just, just was great. Also, I was reminded that she was still working away and hiding her heart condition because she didn't get automatic health insurance back then. That was like 2003, 2004. Times have changed for the better a little bit. Anyway, Ron, bring us home here. How is this gonna look in the future and uh, how can people find you to, to find out more about this? I agree, all very valid points. I think, look, we've gotta get better at
3: uh, understanding you know, our own identity. I've say, I said for a long time that we all have a social security number as an example, like a nine digit number doesn't scale forever, right? Like we've gotta figure out another method for proving who we are, how we're credentialed. I love the idea of some type of national identity provider to give me some type of information to vet against. But I will say as an organization, if if Scott, you know, if I'm you, if I'm sitting as CIO of an organization, you know, it's your brand, right? At the end of the day, if you get breached, it's your brand that takes the hit. So you've got to have a way to correlate your identity context of what you know about people on your network to that, you know, universal information and marry that correctly. And I think we're, we're, you know, headed in the right direction for those things. So company like SailPoint that I work for, look, we're an identity security platform, you know, we're here to help with that type of thing. I will say, company aside, like it it bothers me how excited I get to talk about this kind of stuff. So please reach out. I'm happy to. I, it's 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 fun. So this has been great. Thank you. And how some will find you, Rope? I am, I think it'll be shared. I I'm not much for social media. So LinkedIn is as much as I have.
2: You are pretty good at coming down on social media. <laughs> I know how to find my sales port, my cell point resources. So <laughs> now Rob, now Rob's one of them. So that's great. <laughs>
1: Rob's to put himself there well, anybody who cares about this problem which is which you know is I think everyone who's loved, who's involved in the running of a big healthcare organization these days and and many others because I know identity management overall is securing what it is is ramping up even some of the consult the companies I consult with in the sort of health i.t business and I don't think it's like sending me dedicated laptops so I don't have their stuff on my on my laptop which is real pen in the office of a consultant, but I understand why And their audit staff are saying if you're going to handle data somewhere in your organization, you know, you can't have anybody in the organization who, who, who is, you know, going rogue in any way. And these things, these things are going to be uh, increasingly part of our lives. And yeah, someone wants to tell me, Rob, that that national identity number is going to be the phone number. Everyone has one of those. Maybe yeah. maybe that's it. But uh, those those change pretty often. I'd be terrified of that.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> there is there's maybe you just get assigned a phone number, a 10-digit phone number of birth, and <laughs> you, at least you can now move those between unlike Cerner and Epic, at least you can move those between your phone companies now. Anyway. All right. Well, it's been a really enlightening discussion here about the perils and challenges of of running organizations and nursing, not to mention all the security concerns and onboarding concerns. Uh, I want to thank Scott Raymond from the, the Chief Innovation and Information Officer at Nebraska Mason, Vicky Diassi, who's the Strategic Director of Digital Health at the University of Utah, and Rob Seaborg, who is the Healthcare Identity Strategist at SailPoint. I'm Matthew Holt from the Healthcare Blog saying thanks for spending some time with us.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's Health Impacts Digital Health Talk. Don't miss another podcast. Subscribe at digitalhealthtalks.com. And to join us at our next face to face event, is at healthimpactlive.com.